Hemorrhoids can be a real pain in the butt, causing anal itching and burning and irritation. Get fast relief with all natural, doctor-developed and tested Anacool. Buy Anacool, A-N-A-C-O-O-L. On Amazon right now and save 15% with code WABC2024. This is the Miller Report with Suzanne Miller on the Red Apple Podcast Network. And now, here's Suzanne Miller. Welcome to the Miller Report. I'm Suzanne Miller, CEO of Empire State Properties and founder of the Miller Report. Today's special guest, thank goodness, is finally a woman. We need a woman on the show. She is an amazing woman. She is the president and CEO of the Partnership of New York and has been since 2011. She serves on many boards, including, the advi- including some advisory boards, such as the New York City Economic Development Corporation, the Fund for Public Schools, the Manhattan Institute, and the most impressive to me is she formerly served as the director of the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. Now, that's a lot. That is very big. And not only that, but in 2018, she was named the third most important person in New York underneath Michael Bloomberg and Stephen Ross. She's looking at me funny like, did you just say all that about me? Yes, I did. Welcome, Catherine Weil, to the Miller Report. Thank you, Suzanne. So that was very impressive, and it took a lot to get all that out. I had to read my notes. Um, This is all true, right, Catherine? So far, so good. So, Catherine, before we begin, uh, and I had to research this myself, but I'd like you to explain, what is the Partnership for New York? What does it do? Well, the Partnership is an organization that was started at the end of the fiscal crisis, 1979, by David Rockefeller and other leaders of New York business who felt that they had missed the boat allowing the city to go into fiscal and urban crisis during the 1970s. Oh, we need you back. And they said, we need an organization that's paying attention to the concerns, the interests, the conditions in the city. And that's what the partnership was formed for. So before we begin, I asked Sid Rosenberg about this two days ago. I said, you've seen New York through the bad, the ugly, and now. So which, being that you've been doing this since 1970, what is your opinion? How are we right now? Well, I haven't been running it since 1970, just to be clear. I understand. The, the 70s. But I have been in New York since 1966, actually. And so I have watched the various cycles. And I would say that... The toughest time I ever went through was between 1980-1990 when we had suffered the fiscal crisis, when New York went bankrupt. And that was when manufacturing, which had been the mainstay of our economy, people, young people don't realize this, that we were a manufacturing town. We had a working waterfront. We had blue-collar workers. And in five years, at the end of the 60s, beginning of the 70s, we had a million people move out of the city, basically blue-collar oh, workers. Oh, I didn't know that. We, we lost half our Fortune 500 companies. And so the fiscal collapse of the city, yes, it was partly poor spending, but it was overwhelmingly that our economy disappeared because we were dependent on manufacturing, shipping, the working waterfronts in the city. And then what happened was it took 
a period of time to rebuild the city, both rebuild its neighborhoods to bring back a middle class who had fled the city, and to rebuild its uh, infrastructure. It took... uh, Really, that's what the 1980s was about. Remember the subways when no one could ride the subways. It was a total disaster. They had to rebuild the subways. That was something Dick Ravitch worked on famously as head of the MTA. And then, um, and we had to rebuild the economy. And that's when the financial industry took over because we went from a manufacturing to a service economy. And that's when we became the center of finance. It really wasn't until the beginning of the 90s. And now the financial industry is responsible directly and indirectly for 40% of our economy and our tax base. So we reinvented ourselves is what you're saying. We did indeed. And I hope that we're going to do it again. I was reading yesterday. uh, I don't know if you saw it yet. It came out yesterday. Governor Hochul's new budget. Yes. And it looks to me that she wants to spend next year 2.4... Point four billion dollars for the migrants. That's a lot of money, and we have a, we have a migrant crisis here. And being that you have you're part of this whole renaissance, and you see what's going on, what do you think about this, and what could be done? Well, to put the migrant commitment into context, her total budget spend is two hundred and thirty-three billion. I saw that, but still, two point uh, four billion which, is a lot of money. Of uh, which fifty-five percent is for Medicaid. Mm-hmm. So just to be clear, the $2.4 billion, it's a lot of money, but it's essential, and it's essential for basically one reason, because the federal government has let us down and is not doing their job, uh, either on controlling the borders or on processing the people who come here or on providing funding to support the people, all of whom the 168 thousand migrants who have come to new york city they're all being let in legally at the border this is not an illegal influx these are people who are presenting themselves at the border and are being quote paroled by border patrol and then sent here we all know we have a problem we all know that we can't sustain this it costs us about four hundred dollars a day per citizen to sustain this they're going into our schools, hospitals. I, we, we all know that a few weeks ago, this public school in, I think it was Brooklyn, could, kids couldn't go to school. They had to make room for the migrants. The, the, first, the first immigrants that, that are here, they're the ones most affected because they're working, they're Uber drivers, they're working so hard, and their kids are not getting the same education because of the health, because of their languages, because these migrants don't speak English, so they're being held back. We have an issue. We also have a humanity, we feel humanitarianly, we want to make sure that the migrants are taken care of. What solutions do you suggest we do? Well, again, this is a frustration that we have because under federal law, only the federal government can issue work permits, which was the number one thing we should be doing. I mean, the way Uh, It's not like we haven't had a flow of illegal immigration over the years. We probably have half a million people who don't have legal status are living in the city, but they're working. Uh, Maybe it's in the underground economy, but they're working. They're fending for themselves. They're surviving. They're not depending on the taxpayer to support them. And that's been the history. We've had 
We've been a city whose population growth has always been fueled by international immigration. But this is different because in this case, people are coming to this country, they're being allowed in, and there's such a backlog in our immigration courts and at the border. When I asked somebody from Homeland Security, I said, why are you allowing all these people to just scatter and come to New York rather than keeping them in detention? Because they, they right. say they are, they call them detainees. And I said, but they're not being detained. And they said, well, we don't have the facilities. Can you imagine this is our federal government, which can print money? So why don't you think the federal government is helping? I think because the politics are toxic. I think that they don't want to hurt them. They don't want to help them. Even though we have a labor shortage. Even though we have a labor shortage, employers have stood up. We sent a letter to the president and congressional leaders in August, signed by 150 executives, including John Katsimatidis, saying federal government, control our borders, issue work permits, send cash to support the people that you're allowing into this country. Um, they got a little better after that. They did send up teams that are actually working now. We've now processed 27,000 uh, applications for work permits. That's so cool. we've made some progress, but there's a long way to go. Well, you have you have eight senior olds with testosterone and no jobs. That doesn't. That's not well, a good. Not a good thing. Suzanne, the other thing that people don't realize, we call this an emergency, but. What I'm told by experts is that a combination of the wars around the world, the political instability, the economic instability, climate change, drought, starvation, they say that global migration is going to be with us forever. So this is not a short-term problem. This is a problem that the federal government has to figure out how to solve or we are going to continue to have this drain on city and state resources. Well, hoping that this is an election year, so that will uh, propel the government to do something to get reelected. Let's move on to New York and crime, because the Miller Report is a New York podcast, mostly. Statistics show that crime is down, yet myself and people that I speak to feel that New York is unsafe. What is your feeling about that? Two things. Uh, number one, there are a lot of people seriously mentally ill people who are around, visible. Uh, formerly, they were in our local jail, Rikers Island. Uh, they were let out because of the COVID. Um, we don't have adequate inpatient facilities for them. And we don't have laws that allow the uh, police and medical personnel to keep these people in detention. That's resulted in real tragedies where they've pushed uh, people under the tracks on the subways, they've attacked, there's, there's a whole sense of unease and it's very much about being afraid because you're seeing people who should not be on the streets. Uh, either for their own protection or for your protection. Uh, but it's very difficult. We do not have laws in New York State that make it easy to confine those people unless they're acting violently in the moment. It's very difficult to confine them to hospitalization, to treatment, or to incarceration if, they're, if they have committed a crime. So it's a, it's a tough situation right now, and I think that's a big 
part of it. And it's the visibility of that and the visibility of people who are walking in and out of stores, randomly stealing everything they want and just walking out and saying bye-bye and nobody is doing anything about it because by the time the police get there, they're, they're gone. So that's the other big problem. And that's especially for smaller businesses. You know, the big chain stores can afford to employ off-duty cops to come and, you know, impose some discipline. The small businesses, all they can do is lock their front door. So what do you think about bail reform? Well, I think, I think that the issue of bail reform is not an open issue at this point. It's, it's over. And I think what we, the problems we have to deal with are figuring out what do we do going forward. Um, discovery reform is a big open issue. Uh, it was part of the bail reform package was to say that uh, discovery is it, the discovery reform forces the DAs to give defense counsel every piece of evidence they have and if they don't cases are automatically dismissed and we've had a huge increase in dismissal of cases and we've had a huge increase in cases dropped because the district attorneys just don't have the time to process all these people and then there's no cases on their records so there's no recidivism records so the judges are not sentencing them and so it's a that's a whole problem but i don't i think again that problem is being addressed right now. There's legislation, and the governor had in her proposal, in her budget proposal Wednesday, uh, legislation that would make injury of a retail store worker a felony and would create much more discipline on arrest of shoplifters. It's these high visibility crimes, whether it's the seriously mentally ill or this random blatant shoplifting people get a sense of lawlessness. Shootings are down 26%. The mayor- The ones reported. Well, but guns, 13,000 guns are off the streets in the last two years under, under the mayor. So, uh, so I don't see, I, I know in my neighborhood, it's, um, the issues are not getting, getting shot anymore. You're, the people aren't scared of being shot as much as they're scared of being pushed in front of a train. Well, I've been in, I'm all for New York. Uh, New York has been very good to me and my family and my business, Empire State Properties. But I've never, I came back from Florida yesterday. I was there for the weekend. You can get toothpaste. It's not locked up. You can get toilet paper. It's not locked up. You don't, you don't see people stealing orange juice up to $1,000 in and out of stores. There's no law and order here. And I'm asking you as somebody that's been involved in both the political and business side, how do we get more police? How do we get more law and order in this town so that people stop leaving? Well, fortunately, the mayor in his bu budget message this week restored the, uh, the, the April police class. So we've got 600 uh, cadets coming, in, coming into the police department. So I, there's only one thing we can do, and that is we have to convince average New Yorkers to start paying attention, figure out who's their city councilman, who's their state legislator, and start communicating and voting. with them. And voting. Voting. 23% exactly. of the people voted. They have to vote. Yes. Everybody listening, all of my listeners, you must vote. Even if you come to New York for the day and you're in Florida, North Carolina, or Atlanta, wherever you are, come back for the day and vote. Most important. I Absolutely. And, and if we don't, we're going to, we, we, uh, we will reap what we sow. If we don't, if we aren't participating and holding the elected officials accountable, 
um, we're not going to have the results that we want. I always say in the Miller Report and to all my friends, we are still the silent majority. 90% of us still really do want law and order. They want the Too same. silent, we're Suzanne. Too silent. We're the too we're, we're, silent we're gonna change that majority. Now. We're going to change that now. <laughs> Let's move on. While we're talking about business and New York, I read that you were a proponent for the Amazon deal, which I talked to the mayor and I talked to the old governor, Pataki, and I asked everybody. I even had Bill de Blasio here last week. Like, what happened? I know you wrote a letter to try and keep Amazon here. Catherine, why did this deal not happen? Basically, Amazon, uh, well, one, Amazon is now like the second largest private sector employer in the city. So they have continued yeah, to I expand understand. here. What we lost was the Long Island site for their, what, uh, their East Coast headquarters. And that was a real loss because having a... Uh, a headquarters, even a sub-headquarters of one of these great world tech companies is a big deal um, in terms of taxes, et cetera. Why, why, they let, uh, why we lost, you know, they pulled out. I know, but we could have made it happen. Why? We could have made, well, we did make it happen, but they pulled out because the politics were so intense. They have a bigger, you know, once Elizabeth Warren was dragged up here by AOC and the, and the, the politics, she was here, Bernie Sanders was here. It takes a woman to say the truth. I had Bill de Blasio here, and he couldn't answer this question. Thank you, Catherine. No, once it they was politics. Were, it was politics. It was, and from Amazon's standpoint, they got an agenda across the world, across the country. They got an agenda in Washington. The last thing they need to do right. is come to New York City and have that become a, an issue that impacts their growth everywhere. Goes back to voting, Catherine. It, well, it goes back to voting, but it also goes back to educating the public because there was this thing where they said, well, Amazon is getting billions of dollars in subsidy. In fact, all Amazon was getting was a reduction in the ridiculously high taxes that we pay. The, so the city was over 25 years, they were going to get like a $2 billion reduction in the taxes. But the city and state were going to get $28 billion in new taxes from Amazon. It was just, you know, and people just aren't paying attention to the fact that these, you know, people are using social media who want to oppose corporate expansion, who want to oppose economic growth, who want to go socialist. They're using social media to misinform the public. I appreciate that. Hemorrhoids can be a real pain in the butt, causing anal itching and burning and irritation. Get fast relief with all natural, doctor-developed and tested Anacool. Buy Anacool, A-N-A-C-O-O-L, on Amazon right now and save 15% with code WABC2024. With crime running rampant in New York, you need to keep yourself and your family safe. Obtaining your concealed carry firearm licenses can be difficult and time-consuming. That's where MyFirstPistol.com comes in. They'll help you secure your concealed carry license. If you're looking for a pistol, premise, rifle, or shotgun license, call 347-559-7052. 347-559-7052. You must have a valid firearm license issued by the NYPD to purchase, possess, or shoot a handgun or pistol in NYPD. Moving on, in 2021, you were on record against the idea of taxing the wealthy, to furthering taxing the wealthy. You're smiling. I did my homework. And 
polling results show that 60% of New Yorkers wanted this. How can we get that 60% more on track, realizing that if we tax the wealthy further, more people will leave, less be less services for the city, and what can we do to stop this? Well, now the number in the latest poll that came out was 85% want to tax the oh, wealthy. Oh, my goodness. My, my numbers is, are wrong. Oh, my goodness. But as, no, no, outdated. Um, you know that the poll results are how you ask the question. Mm -hmm. And if you say, do you think that very wealthy people should pay more taxes, people say, sure. And then you say, well, if the consequences of that are that they leave New York and we get no taxes from them, or we lose jobs, or we lose economic activity, what do you think of that? And then everybody says, oh, well, no, maybe there's a problem here. We had, in 2018, and since 2018, because the federal government eliminated state and local tax deductibility, most taxpayers, middle and upper income taxpayers in New York, and 50% of the tax filers pay no taxes, just to be clear. It's, you know, this only falls on people that make above a certain amount. Or of not money. in cash businesses. Uh, yes, right. Well, that too. So, so we have a situation where we've got a very progressive tax system where 2% of the population, the highest earners, pay over 50% of the taxes. Wow. This is not a long-term sustainable situation. And when we lost state and local tax deductibility, for New York is the number one loser as a state. We send today $14 billion more to Washington than we did prior to the 2018 implementation of capping state and local tax deductibility. So you can't any longer... And Long Island and Westchester have the highest real estate taxes in the country on yes, I, private I homes. I think I read it was 35% of the budget is from real estate taxes, 25% commercial, 10% residential, and they want to tax them more to get them to leave? Well, the point is that those folks who pay $100,000 a year in real estate taxes all of a sudden, because of this federal tax law change, where they said you can't deduct your state and local mm -hmm. taxes anymore. Salt. It's called salt. Salt. State and local tax deductibility. Since that happened, they no longer can deduct more than $10,000 of their $100,000 so tax bill. So it, <laughs> I mean, oh, they may not be able to afford to have a home anymore here. So it's just had a dramatic impact that has not been acknowledged. Now, this expires at the end of 2026. It was a 10-year deal, eight-year deal, excuse me, eight-year deal. I am hopeful that the federal government will be convinced not to extend it, in which case we'll have some tax relief. Anybody who expects our state and city government to reduce taxes is, I'm afraid, very optimistic at best. Naive. So we have to get the word out. We have to get the word out. So what is it going to take to not get SALT renewed? It's Votes. going to take Congress uh, not renewing it. Mm -hmm. 
And we, we could write uh, to our to congressman. It. What could we do? Absolutely. Well, it's not yet. It's 2026. Let's stay in again. touch and make so, sure we do yeah, that. Absolutely. So let's move on to some, another issue in New York. Again, I'm, I'm throwing a lot at you, but you are the expert here, particularly when it comes to politics and business on the Miller Report. So uh, I read that you are a supporter for congestion pricing. Do you really think this is going to that this is going to be a true economic benefit for the city? I do. We did a, a study that demonstrated that excess traffic congestion costs our regional economy over $20 billion a year. So we are spending that money in overtime, in delays, in fuel, in pollution. We are spending $20 billion a year because of excess congestion. A certain amount of traffic congestion is a good thing. When it gets past a certain point, it's a bad thing. It shuts things down. So that's a problem that we have. And honestly, if we don't use congestion tolls to support the improvement of our mass transit system, and 82% of the workers in Manhattan depend on that mass transit system, as do we all who live in New York. If we don't have funds, how are we going to pay for it? Are we going to increase the payroll tax again? Are we going to increase income taxes? Are we going to increase sales taxes? Are we going to increase transit fares? There's no magic here. Nobody is paying for that system for us. So we thought the fairest way, the one group that is using the city infrastructure and not paying for it are the folks who drive personal vehicles in and out of the city every day. This could really backfire. I mean, if you read, if you watch 60 Minutes on Sunday, they were saying that 50% of the offices are vacant because of the hybrid work environment. So, and that's here to stay. 50% are empty. So if they have to, now you have this uh, on the B buildings, the A buildings are doing yep. fine. The B buildings, there's a lot of B buildings. So I'm concerned that the people that can stay home and work and they don't want to pay this congestion pricing, it's, it's going to cause more people to not come to their office. I think that is not the case. People who want to work remotely are working remotely if their employer will allow it. Uh, it's a new cultural phenomenon. It has had a big impact. I don't think it's related to congestion pricing. I think it's a phenomenon that technology and, and the, the industrial revolution of the past three years is the technology, the digital revolution. If you can do everything remotely, if it doesn't matter where you live, uh, in terms of your job, and that, that reverses history. It used to be you had to live near your job within a reasonable commute of your job. You don't anymore. And we found that out during the pandemic when within two weeks we, we'd moved our whole economy to work from working from wherever they were. And we used technology. This has changed forever. We're going to have to figure out how to deal with it. The city has to figure out how to deal with it. I mean, the most immediate thing we should be doing, which Albany has refused to do for the last year, uh, two years, is uh, have incentives for converting these commercial B buildings, that are buildings that are empty, convert them to housing because we have a desperate need for housing for people of all income levels, but particularly middle-income working people, young kids who want to come and work in the city are living. Yeah, that's a pipe dream. I, 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 I have to say uh, on record, I hope that, you know, this is a friendly exchange. Yeah. I think it's going to be the nail on the coffin, this congestion pricing. I'm worried about Broadway. I'm worried about the small stores. 
hours, I'm wor- I mean, it's not going to affect me. It's not going to affect, I mean, I'm going to walk, but what about the people that are coming in from, they want to commute. It's, it's, it's just the last thing that New York needs right now. My opinion, we could move on. I appreciate your looking at both statistics and we'll come back and talk about this next year and see who was right. Absolutely. That's every city that has adopted congestion pricing. The public was violently opposed to it before it happened. Didn't work in London. Oh, yes, it did. No, the second district didn't work because it was a residential district. It wasn't commercially heavily and heavily commercial. But no, the first district, it did work. And every district after it's implemented, people say, why didn't we do this long ago? It's made it so much more pleasant to be here. And again, this all depends. Uh, it, it doesn't happen by magic. If we don't see improvements in the transportation system, if it's not safer, faster, more reliable, then it won't work. Then I'm with you. Okay, let's come back and see this. All right, last, uh, last thing on taxes, Catherine. Talk to us about the Pierre de Terre luxury tax that's also being proposed because I hope it doesn't pass because I think that's going to kill the foreign investors, the people that are purchasing condos. We don't want more taxes on these investors. Do you, what, what do you think about that? I totally agree with you on that one. See, we Susan. agree. <laughs> no, and, and we have opposed that consistently. It's been proposed for a number of years, and it's, um, it's just a false notion that somehow uh, you can take all the equity out of someone's purchase and they'll still buy. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way. We will no longer be an investment capital if we keep passing laws that, make, hurt, them. that yeah. hurt investment. Yes, I agree with you. So let's talk about some things about the economy. I know that you were the director of the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. and A director. Oh, a director. On the board. Oh, okay. Well, it's still a very big job. So where do you see interest rates going in the next 18 months? And how do you see the economy now? Well, from everything I read, most of the projections for the economy are kind of slow and steady, but positive, not a big recession, Uh, hopefully interest rates coming down, Um, inflation has come down. So I think those are all positive signs. In terms of New York City, though, I do want to say that people think we have economic problems. We're actually in very good shape. Uh, I mean, if the government stays out of the way and doesn't screw it up, uh, the New York City economy, we have, uh, you know, we're second only to Silicon Valley in terms of a global tech hub. We are, uh, we've been growing at two to four percent a year. Our economy is almost a trillion dollars a year in terms of economic output. We're the largest city economy in the world outside of Tokyo. So we're, we're in much better shape than other American cities for the most part. And uh, we've had 40,000 new businesses started in the city in the past two years. Well, that's great news. I'm a native New Yorker, and that is fantastic news. You just came from a meeting with the mayor. Did they discuss this? Yes. In fact, this was this was discussed because the mayor has worked hard to send a positive message about welcoming businesses and business formation and trying to make it easier, putting together programs at the city that reduce the number of permits you have to go through that make it easier to file for opening a business and meeting health department and other requirements. So he's a very pro-business mayor, which has been great news. That is great news, considering where we came from. 
Yes. <laughs> Let's move forward. And I, uh, another dismal thing I want to talk about, and, I, and I'm sorry, but these are issues. There's a big issues, and education is a huge issue. We have the largest amount of people that are not graduating anywhere. The scores are dismal on graduation, on, on, on just on reading and writing and math. How, and we're spending so much money on our public schools, probably more than any other place. How is this happening and what could be done to stop this? Well, so the pandemic had a horrible impact on public education and has really set us back. There's been an effort uh, by the city, the mayor's got the summer rising program to get kids into summer school for remediation. Mayor Bloomberg has been a huge philanthropic private supporter of that effort. The city has invested a lot. So they are trying to reverse that. Uh, the losses that we suffered when kids were sitting remote at home and many of them didn't even have computers in homeless shelters, et cetera. So uh, education is a huge problem. But what's happened is, um, and something really positive about the current chancellor of education in the city, David Banks, is he has focused on preparing young people for success in future careers, even starting in grade school, to have them start to think about you know, how they're going to sustain themselves and move up the economic ladder. And so they've got career pathways programs. And in fact, um, well, it hasn't been announced yet, but uh, I will say that the Bloomberg Foundation has made a very big grant just in the last 24 hours. Oh, my goodness. That's great. Is this hot off the Miller Report? Tell us. Tell I us. I think this is hot off the Miller Report, but I'm, I, I, I'm not going to say any more about it because I don't want to get in trouble. But the point is to reinforce this focus on young people can't just be taught to read and write. They have to, in this society, which where the economy is moving so fast, when technical skills are needed to be able to function in our economy, they're really pushing this relationships, partnerships with employers to train kids so that they are prepared to get real jobs and not necessarily, you know, and because not everybody wants a four-year bachelor's degree. There are plenty of good options for careers and the city for the first time is really focusing on working with employers to make sure that the we have 200,000 job openings in the city at any one time. Waiting, looking for people, and especially since immigration has slowed during the pandemic, uh, we don't have people to fill these jobs. We need New Yorkers, public school students, trained to move into these jobs, which are good-paying jobs in this city. We've got, I mean, our minimum wage has just gone to $16, and these are jobs that are far above minimum wage if we can just have people trained to take them. Well, thank you, Michael Bloomberg, and I do hope this happens. He was a fantastic mayor. One of the things that really is concerning to me personally, I ask everybody in the Miller Report this about this. Let's talk about the, the protesters. Let's talk about the college campuses. Let's talk about what more can be done. I read today that the pro-Palestinian post-protesters tried, when it's amounts to, uh, it was, the cancer hospital. It was. It's insane. Memorial Sloan Kettering. They were. They were chanting, "Close the hospital." These are patients. These are. Is it because they're Jewish doctors? Like, what more can be done? And how do we get some law and order so that the bridges stop being closed and the, the airports, the roads? There's got to be something more that could be done to stop this. What is your opinion? I think the 
the rise in anti-Semitism, the, um, the rise in hate period is just a, it's a terrifying symptom of what's going on in our country and our world, not just our city. And it's a combination of, um, of the hatred that we're tolerating. And then on the pushback that doesn't allow police to enforce the laws and stop these demonstrations. I mean, people gluing themselves to the sidewalks uh, to stop the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. What is or the going tree lighting. So yeah, or the tree lighting. Catherine, what is going so, on so in this if country? If you were the mayor or the governor, what would you do? Well, I, I would do what they are both doing, which is, that one, they're calling it out. Uh, they're not sanctioning it at all. And, two, they are backing up the police in terms of breaking this stuff up. Um, they're not the problem. So you think that the, the, our pol politicians are doing enough? I think our politicians are trying to do enough. They are obstructed by some of our courts. Um, who are pushing back. Uh, and um, so it, I, I can't disagree with the extent of the problem. It's a big problem. And I think our society has to face it, and particularly the lawless side of it and the hate side of it. Yeah, I feel um, this has got to be addressed, and it's, it's, it's very eerie. So we got to get the word out, and it's, it's, there's laws against this. It's interfering with commerce, and this is a federal issue, and I don't understand why the federal government is not stopping this. Well, I think none of us can figure out why the federal government is um, paralyzed on so many fronts these days. Got it. So I ask every person on the Miller Report the same question at the end, and hopefully you'll give us a fantastic answer because you've been involved in both politics, real estate, businesses. If you were the mayor, again, or the governor, tell us three things that you would do to reestablish New York as the greatest city in the world. Well... One caveat, I believe New York is the greatest city okay, in well. the world. We want to keep it that way. Okay, well, so we'll I'll, go along I'll with that. Slightly, slightly change the question to keep it the greatest city in the world. I think people are leaving, which is why I said it that, because 500,000 people left, and I know more came, but still people have the sentiment to leave. So that is why I, I want to clarify why I said that. Understanding. And people are leaving, in most cases, due to affordability issues. Mm -hmm. In some cases, that's taxes. In other cases, it's housing costs yes. and rents. Uh, in other cases, it's the cost of having a growing family in the city, which is very expensive. So affordability. And what we have to start doing is looking when the legislature, the city council, when they pass laws that are going to increase costs. And this is true, I mean, insurance costs, for example. Every time they pass a law that creates new opportunities for everybody to sue everybody else for things that happened 100 years ago, that increases everybody's insurance costs, and that's all passed along. So affordability is the number one thing I would tackle by starting to educate the public why are costs going up in New York City so much. Uh, that's one. Uh, then building off of that, I'd say number two is making sure we deal with public safety in a way that people are really sure that the city is safe, feel confident, um, and 
I think we've done a lot of that under the governor and the mayor. I think more needs to be done. That that takes constant vigilance. I mentioned earlier dealing with the mentally ill, the seriously mentally ill, and putting them in appropriate institutional facilities until they're healthy. Um, I think that's a very important thing. And, um, and then we have to deal with the growing problems associated with poverty. We now have had an increase. We've had a 40% increase in the number of people on public assistance in the last three years. Is that because of people that are coming here are migrants or homeless or is it just no, average I th- person? No, I, I, I think it's people falling out of the economy a, a lot, um, you know, during the lockdown, the pandemic, but people falling out of the economy, prices going up, unaffordability. Uh, so we've had a big increase in public assistance. And if, if you recall the city um rudy giuliani was elected on saying we're gonna bring down welfare roles and create work centers not welfare centers. again i think that's a that's the other piece of it so i think we have to look realistically at the number of people who are experiencing poverty in the city and figure out how do we get them trained and prepared and into jobs the jobs are there we're doing not everything we should to be able to move people into those jobs, prepare them for those jobs. Well, it sounds like you're doing your end. You're doing a lot to really help New York. And I appreciate everything I've heard and your reputation and what you've done to keep, as you will see, keep New York the greatest city in the world. And thank you so much for coming on The Miller Report. Thanks for having me, Suzanne. Thank you for tuning into The Miller Report. Please download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Hemorrhoids can be a real pain in the butt, causing anal itching and burning and irritation. Get fast relief with all natural, doctor-developed and tested Anacool. Buy Anacool, A-N-A-C-O-O-L, on Amazon right now and save 15% with code WABC2024.